Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Thinking Project Podcast, where we interview founders and creatives to help you take the next step in your business by listening to inspired stories of these wonderful founders. I hope you enjoy this podcast and make sure to share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Perfect. Thanks for being here, Cindy. Hey, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. This was one of my big when I when I uh, went to the consumer summit. Um, I heard you speak. I heard a, a lot of other uh, of the speakers, and that was a really fun um, event. In fact, it was the first one I went to. I, I got tagged in it by someone who I knew really well, um, who was like, "Hey, you got to go to this." And and I and I had never really been to events like that before. But I was like, "All right, let's try it. Let's see what happens." And uh, it was pretty awesome. So congrats on that event. Oh, that's awesome. That's well, first of all, it's an amazing story for how you got there. And thank you. You know, I, I really felt strongly that I'm a big believer in community because I believe that's how you like elevate the visibility of all the companies and what categories can be. And so, you know, the opportunity to bring together this amazing field of consumer, consumer enabled technology and all the people surrounding it. It was just a really great opportunity to do that and create this connectedness that then extends to visibility and funding and all of the things that that strengthen economies. Absolutely. Well, and okay, so well then we'll just jump right in because I love this. So, uh, Cindy, you're the CEO of Brandless. You've also had mm-hmm. a lot of other ventures. I mean, it's it's a huge list. Um, your pedigree is really amazing. Um, Disney. Uh, Marvel, all of these big companies, right? Um, but what I was, and I've listened to a lot of your interviews, I've, I've read a lot of, of your things. One of the things that, that as you kind of, and what you just started talking about is something that's really near and dear to me as well, as a podcaster, as like a content guy, like I love this idea of, um, and I believe you call it just creating a magical transformative customer experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when yeah. I hear that, you, you mentioned the word, and when I hear that, I think of community. And so, for oh, that's me, a, yeah, guess, that's a really great translation of that. I mean, I think, um, I think you know, continue going on your question yeah. there, but I have a couple of thoughts on that, and kind of tie back into my origins and my Disney days. Yeah, yeah, and because that, well, that's just the most important thing to me. So, like, one of my things, you know, I'm, I'm involved with a lot, but I'm I'm a salesman uh, by trade, but I went to school for like accounting and finance, and. Uh, fell into podcasting because one of the things that I love and one of the things that I loved about the summit you guys put on earlier was creating like a tight knit community because I feel like we've come full circle in our culture. Like we've, Mm -hmm. we started with like the mom and pop on the block. Like you, you were really tight knit in your neighborhood and then we kind of social media let us expand. And now we could, our community, a whole community was the world. And now we've kind of circled all the way back to like forming really tight knit, like in proximity communities. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I know you got a couple. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the things that are, that are actually magical about communities, right. Or they create instead of people who are your cheerleaders, like I'm a big believer, like everyone needs cheerleaders. Everyone needs people who are their advocates and that are like teaching them things that they can't see themselves or mentoring, even if it's like this ad hoc mentoring that happens because you show up at a summit or something like that. And communities are also the things that accelerate change and then make lasting impact inside of the ecosystems. And so we'll become much more connected as a world, right? We're much more aware of the things that are going on in the entire world and the hard things that people are going through. We also are all of our individual selves trying to like forge our best path forward for our companies, our communities, our families, and as individuals. And that destiny and that journey needs people. And so the more that we can create connectedness, I think it creates more empathy. I think it accelerates areas of change where change is slow. You know, I I advocate a lot for women in technology, you know, founded an organization there and you know, look at the numbers like, okay, you know, there's just under 25% of the tech force are women, right? And the trajectory for change is like a hundred years. It's like a century, right? And if I, if you keep everything at its current pace, it takes that long. Well, then you look at it and you say, well, how do I make a change? 
I make a change when I bring people together. I elevate the conversations. I elevate the visibility. I activate people on things that make a difference. And you know, that's what communities do. They bring like-minded people together and then they create this empathy and what you're trying to solve and then how that maps into the world and then what can make a difference. And I agree, you know, we went so social, but we need people. We need connectedness. We need relationships that we make. Um, I think COVID made that even more important because we didn't see people for years and then come back together and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to see my, you as my friend. And I'm so happy to, to do this interaction. And so I, I think community and people, they're, they're super important. And when you create magical moments together, you accelerate the relationships and then you make an impact together. Yeah. So tell me more about magical relationships. I want to dial that in because people are like trying to figure out how to get this community. I think one of the downfalls of, of social media was like we fell into like analysis paralysis of like how do we actually make community tighten it impossible. So I'm curious to hear your like thoughts and your um, experience on creating magical moments. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. You know, when I think about like the way that I approach relationships and community, because at the core of community, right, are how people develop relationships and the constructs that you put in place to develop those things. You bring people together around some common like thing you're trying to accomplish, right? That's usually how communities get created, whether it's family communities or neighborhoods or um, initiatives, whether it's like the consumer industry or the Women Tech Council, all of those have something in common. But in those common safe spaces, I find you also have people who have all sorts of different views and that's what makes actually community great. So sometimes community has been so centralized on some like very specific cause that is in where one very specific way. My architecture that I think creates magic in community is that there's something that binds you together, some common conversation, but there's room in the community for all sorts of thoughts. They don't have to be the same. They don't have to be the same perspectives, the same life journey, the same other things. It's this appreciation that the diversity of thought, the diversity of people coming in, the diversity of experiences that come to the table and a general appreciation for them is what garners empathy and then what de develops this deep desire to think about how you make change because you appreciate all of the dynamics coming to play. And it's totally fine if people don't think the same. It's totally fine if we came from different walks of life. It's totally fine no matter what journey we're on. But what, what binds us is this ability to say, we can have really great conversations and develop relationships, even though those things are different. And for me, that's how I've always developed community. I'm like, I don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know. Let's come together and create this. And, and for me, some of this got grounded. So when I went to Disney um, and I, my job at Disney was really unique. So it was a, a department created in Imagineering under Disney research. And we had all these brilliant PhD and postdocs all over the country um, and actually all over the world. And they were solving really big innovation challenges. And you know, my job was how do you make businesses out of this innovation and spin it anywhere into the Disney company. And I remember in my very early days, you know, I came out of marketing, I came out of product like technology stuff. So I've developed a lot of products, I've taken them to market. And so, you know, I get agile, I get scrum, I get how you like build customer relationships and like how you do that. But I remember my, one of my very first projects was I was recreating the carbon freezing chamber from, from Star Wars on a stage in Hollywood studios. And people could come through and be frozen in carbonite like Han Solo. And of course, I, I like no Star Wars, right? Like I know why like Han Solo's frozen in carbonite. I got the whole story. And then I remember sitting down with the team as we were developing the experience. And the, and the team's like, he said, <clears throat> it's not just about like that one moment. To develop true loyalty and to develop a real customer experience, you have to appreciate the entire story. Like what's the story that when someone steps in here, because they weren't Han Solo, like, what's the story they come into? What is the experience that translates to them, that binds them into the storyline that's individualized mm. for them, that allows it to make sense? And whether, and if this is a moment in time, the, the story stays together forever. Mm. And so we started to think, and that really changed my like perspective about what it means to create like meaningful deep and truly magical relationships. It's not about a moment. It's not about a tagline. It's not about a promo. It's about fully immersing someone in a story that's transformative, even if it's a moment of time that lasts with them forever. And that's what you also do when you do community, right? It lasts with someone forever because it was so impactful. And it can be a 10 minute experience and it could also be a lifetime. 
but yeah. something creates that magic because it's deeper than a marketing slogan. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> that, I mean, like, I'm so glad that we brought that up because for me, like two weeks ago, that would have gone right over my head, but I was doing some research and through these like podcast interviews, I had, I had read somewhere like two things, right? Like uh, one of the, one of my old guests, my previous guests said, uh, no customer wants to be part of your marketing strategy, but they want to be part of your story. Right. And then I, and then uh, I had another mentor tell me like good writing is being understood and great writing is the reader feeling understood. Right. And so so um, just hearing you say that is just like, that just puts the icing on the cake for me because it's not about these moments. It's about like buying into the whole idea, right? Yeah, because yeah, I know who Han Solo is, but Star Wars isn't my favorite. I know I might get, I know I might get tagged for saying that, but, but like, but I know I have friends where that's like some of their favorite things and, and it's not about one thing. It's like that's you're right. saying, right? That's right. Exactly. Like, it's just as a funny side story. So when I was like, Oh, you're right. I have to know the story. Like, how am I helping people become immersed? I had to learn, like, I went to every, like, there's a Wikipedia, right. From the oh, Wookiees yeah. from, right. So this is like, I got all the Star Wars language. And so I'm like, Oh no, I better go learn. Like, why did the carbon freezing chamber come about? Like, what's its history? Like oh, what's the yeah. story that it plays out? Like, why would someone get here? So I know way more about Star Wars than like a normal person. <laughs> all the backstories from like all of those people. That's so cool. But I, but it to your point, right? It gained for me this appreciation that it is about immersive, transformative experience that reach into the emotional connectivity of humans. So from that point in my career, that's just been my approach to developing those. Um, the company that I built after I left that was all about transformative. The next company I built, we actually built a storytelling platform that was thinking deeply in all spaces about any relationship you have with a consumer brand. How do you transform that? How do how does technology enable that? But at the core of it, it's about customer. And um, it really took me to the space of, you know, you don't do marketing for marketing's sake. You do it because you're you're creating a relationship and it can be very technical products that do the same, right? For whatever reason, mm. everything that someone buys right there, I mean, maybe like our, you know, spontaneous purchases of the cash wrap aren't quite there, but they still do something. We buy them because of some identity they're helping us create or some need they're fulfilling and we'll repurchase them because of the connection we feel. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So here's my question then, because now we're getting into like storytelling. This is something that I'm learning about right now. And I, and I'm, I feel like I'm in the beginning stages, but, um, for you, uh, and then, and then I, of course, I want to talk about, um, your nonprofit women, women tech council. Um, yeah. but right now, like how do you, so you work with businesses, right? You create these businesses from really technical to maybe like where the story is the main point, right? How do you, when you advise a business or when you look at a brand or something, how do you drill the importance of storytelling into a brand, even if it's like, cause that's my, that's my thing. I talk with companies and I'm like, no, like, what's the story? Like, why are we doing this? You know, like customers don't care about the problem they solve. They want to see it in their head, how it solves their problem. Right. They want to like yeah. put themselves in that experience. And then I get pushback all the time. That's like, oh, well, it's really hard to tell a story behind this and blah, blah, blah. So I'm just curious, like, and I'm going to use the word, but like, how do you sell storytelling to a company? So there's a couple of things that are true, just from like the business level perspective. Keeping a customer is always cheaper than getting a new customer. So there's not one business person in the face of the planet will disagree with us, right? So we spend all this money to acquire customers. So if you think about it from like this very pragmatic perspective of you're building a company, your company relies on customers. It is always cheaper to turn people into advocates that then become referrals and repeat customers. If those things are true, then the elements of what makes up repeat customers and advocates, like I work with, you know, I've worked with thousands of businesses in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business program. 90% of those businesses tell me their best lead gen source are referrals, right? Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is just what the business is, right? It's from these networks that we create, it's referral. So if those things are true and we build our businesses on them, that means that the things that they have to fill from how they interact with our company must reach them, not on a surface level. Products I only buy once and I never send anyone to, um, they, never, they never increase their lifetime value of customers. Mm -hmm right? They're always right. churn. They're churn and burn. Find customers and maybe they build successful businesses. If you want a business that customers care about and that come back to, then it is all about building relationship with customers. 
how do you build relationships with people? You reach into things that are important to them. You bind them to you with the products that you're providing. And they recognize the impact that that has broader than just the consumption of the product in one moment. Right. So they're not just consuming mm -hmm. it. They're like taking it bigger. And so that that ultimately is where like story is the thing and it's the language and it's ultimately the like decision making framework the business makes decisions on. You know, I a year ago I was at a conference and I heard a guy say and I really like this, you know, cultures of companies are what you celebrate and what you tolerate and almost nothing else matters in culture. <laughs> and then you think about how that shows up for customers. The same thing is true, right? How you treat how you treat them and then how you communicate with them is the thing that is true. And that's all story is, right? Story is everything about your business, everything about the way people interact, every experience they have with you is consistent with the, the emotion that you're trying to make them create for you. And at companies like Disney, that's what's infused. It's not that I go build a carbon freezing chamber that's so based in story. It's that every touch point you have till you got to that experience, everyone you have after, everything that you come back to is all bound by the same expectation of delivery. Like the fastest way to kill a project at Disney was to say, this is going to create guest dissatisfaction. So if you're in a meeting and you're like, oh yeah, that's going to create guest dissatisfaction. You're like, oh yeah, don't say that. Like that product's, project's dead because <laughs> then it broke, right? And so they, they recognize this thing that says, even after purchase, even months later, if something's going to make them not fine, and so the, and that's what creates advocacy, yeah. right? In those cycles, and so when I think about selling story, it's not selling story; it's selling you that customers come back, that they love your brand so much that they're willing to go out of their way. They talk about you, that they increase their purchase power with you, and they don't mm -hmm. leave what you built because they love what you created so much. Yeah. And, and as you're telling that story, like one of the things that comes to my mind um, is like, you know, if you take like for a while, I sold Mercedes Benz and that was a really, we had a really strong brand because, and, and I had a really unique experience with a friend of mine. Like I was a sales, I was a sales manager. We uh, at a Nissan dealership and we had this young salesman come in and he was killing it. And he goes and he buys a, a new Mercedes Benz. And like, he couldn't afford it at the time, but he's young and whatever. So he was like, it was okay. And uh, so we went and asked him questions about his bends and everything. And uh, there were a few things that like he had mentioned to us. And the, the short of the story was like, you know, he, he was like, um, you know, we're like, did you get the tire and wheel? Cause like when I sold bends, like you got all the perks with it because like one of those tires and wheels was like six grand, like a pop, right? And we were like, did you get this? He's like, no, I don't need it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I go, and then we asked him a couple other things. And, and I was like, and, and so his name was Harrison. And I was like, Harrison, but you're not, you, when you buy a Benz, you don't buy a Benz. A Benz is a lifestyle. Benz isn't a car. You know what I mean? Like people were, people buy Mercedes Benz because like of the, yeah. And I guess because of the story that. that exactly. Benz because sell, because of what's it's associated with it. How right, it's right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's what I was thinking. And I was like, all right, I'm, that must be the storytelling aspect because yeah, I was, I was always like, and then he, he, and then he always get mad at me. And I was like, I was like, dude, but I'm not like dogging on you. I'm like trying to tell you, like, it's like Rolex, right? Like Rolex is very exclusive with who buys their watches and it's cause it's that story. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess in that sense, then Benz and like Rolex, some of these brands, like they've created that story around their brand that just draws people back in. That's right. And like they've created, you know, they've, they've identified who their target customer is and they've recognized like the things that are important to that, that person. And yeah. then they are consistent in their execution, not just in marketing, but in customer experience and their promotion capability. And, and typically it translates down even into how you think about return policies or how you mm. think about, you know, every aspect of your business is tied to because, you know, you might have someone who has a great experience with the product, but then if they call your customer support or, you know, they have a return and it's a crappy experience, it actually eliminates all of the goodwill you created. Yeah. That's why it must be intrinsically tied to every aspect of a company. And you said culture is the story of the company. Are you in that? I mean, culture, culture ends up reflecting how you expect people to treat customers, right? And so <laughs> the comment on culture was... Yeah. 
Culture becomes defined by what you celebrate and what you tolerate. Mm, wow. That's pretty intense because it's interesting. I have a, I mean, we have a lot of business owners on the show and uh, we inevitably talk about culture and some of the conversations have always left me just really confused because culture can be very, like a very ambiguous term. It can totally, because we define values, right? And it shows up in certain ways and in certain activities, but I love this bubbling up that if you just look at your company, what do you celebrate? So what are just those rewards and acknowledgements that you give that people know that's what you value from how they act? And what and and then what you tolerate. So that's the those are the behaviors of like, oh, hey, are we willing to tolerate someone who we think is toxic in the culture just because we don't want to like, you know, disrupt anything or like create any issues. So and sometimes you tolerate all sorts of stacks of things. And when you think about it at that simplistic of a term, because that's how everyone in your company sees it. What were you celebrating? What did you acknowledge? How did you create policies around that? How do you show up every day and have communications? And then what do you allow to happen in your company that you just tolerate, but you don't make decisions? The combination of those two to find how people think of you. So if you try to put this face into a story for customers, but then when they come back to you, all of these other things happen in the company because people created policies or they're like, oh, no, we're never returning that after one day. Right. Or, you know, yeah. someone feels like they have to yell at someone to like get something fixed. All of those become ways that then show up for customer and they really do destroy all of the building you build from like the, the outbound perspective. Yeah. Holy cow. And that's so true. I mean, um, when you're looking in a company and you, and you're talking about what you tolerate and then you bring up empathy into it. I mean, empathy is not in from all the research that I've done and all the times that I've had to, to learn about it is not like a woo woo thing, right? Like empathy, empathy means like drawing very, like very dark lines on things, yeah. you know, and having very clear boundaries. And so the, I think that allows you to be, you know, when you, when you look at culture through that lens, like you're talking about, it allows you to be very empathetic with customers. Exactly. And inside the company. Exactly. Because you think about the actions you take and their reflection on individuals, yeah. right? Ultimately your employees should be your very best advocates for your business, right? They should be like, I love what I'm doing here. I love what the mission of the company is about. It's been one of the cool things mm -hmm. about building brandless is it's a mission driven company. And yeah. so you know, companies that we acquire, like that's really important to them. We find these amazing like-minded entrepreneurs. And then inside of the company, it's the same. Like we all believe we're building something that's meaningful, that makes a difference, that helps individuals and the planet better. And that binding conversation, right? We hope directs like everything that we're doing because it's some common framework of we can make a difference through our collective efforts. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, I, and I asked this question and it might sound similar to the ones I've asked before, but I kind of want to like get down into the nuances of the question, which is like how you actually communicate the culture and value and story of brandless to the customers so that they, so that they get it. Like, what does right. that actually look like? You know, that's, it's, you know, it's a fair question. So when you think about like messages that you communicate, I think there's tiers of ways brands and companies show up, right? Mm -hmm. So I kind of break it into some bigger buckets. You've got like what the, the, you've got a company and a company brand, right? And you typically have all sorts of things. So we kind of break our mission into four categories. We think about, you know, product standards, we think about ingredient, like, so we think about product standards, we think about sense of our sustainability, which we call sensible sustainability. We think about its ability to give back. And we think about like employee um, components of it that help us show up. So when we think about that, which ultimately translates into marketing messages in these four categories, we're like, okay, there's an overall company mission, right? And for us, we like, we have a an area of our company that's called Be More. And Be More is the place where we really do our community giving back. Uh, and then we, we actually don't have like only one thing that we do. We really try to find ways that our products help needs of communities. So a few months ago when the Afghan refugees were coming in, the Afghan refugees were landing at the airport and they literally had nothing. And so we have a whole line of personal care items and baby items like diapers and baby lotion and shampoo. 
until we felt like, hey, our products could really help them when they come off the plane. Wonder if we give them a bag of supplies that they need. So when they go to their temporary housing, they just have stuff they can use that are just fundamental necessities for people. So we used our products and we created donation bags for all of those refugees who just came off the plane because wow. it really aligned with mm. products that we had and things that we could, thought we could help people with. Mm. And so we consistently do that in like our Be More program where like, okay, what's the need? Where is it? We, we did similar things with homeless shelters. We actually helped the road home. We also helped some across the country. Um, we recently sent, we had a bunch of like organic um, tampons and pads, which were in high demand for the Ukraine. So we mm-hmm. spent a ton of time finding a bunch of medical um planes that were headed over and donated just a ton of items to go help the people um, who needed those. And so we try to reflect the values that we have for giving back based on our product and based on places that we know it can help. Oh, interesting. Okay. And we do that kind of across the board where we're like, and then we think about it as ingredients. We're like, okay, in our clean beauty line, we want all of this to be clean ingredients that are better for you as a company or in our nutrition line. We're like, okay, how do we have better for you ingredients in those that you, you know, take out the dyes, you take out the preservatives, you do those. And then we find companies that look like that. And so we consistently like find these ways where both product, and then you think about packaging and sensible sustainability. So for us, the translation of like who we are shows up in like this decision-making framework for everyone in the company, how we show up in community, how we show up internally, where we spend our time and resources. We just partnered on a super cool Juneteenth um, activity here, uh, which was really great. We brought together multiple companies. We have these amazing speakers. So we try to show up in all of the places that we believe matter and that you can make a difference by being better for you. And we do that on you know, levels of engagements like that in community, product donations, activities we like our companies, and then even product decisions, right? All of our marketing group, they're thinking about, okay, how do, how do we talk about these products with that? We have these, um, they're not paper lines, but they're you know, kind of like product paper lines, but they're made out of bamboo and sugarcane because they're both oh, cool. fast growing renewable um, ingredients. Yeah. And so then the marketing will end up talking about how important those it, uh, that those types of ingredients are to the planet in general. Yeah, that's cool. And, and I mean, something that I kind of heard in there when you were talking was like creating, I mean, the product, I mean, your story even starts with the products that you're creating because the products that you're creating will help elevate the story and like the, the other causes that you have, like your mission driven objectives like it boils down to even the products right so you create the baby and the health lines and the hygiene lines so that ultimately you can help the people who need those as well as you know have the customers come in and get and be repeats right exactly it ties the whole it ties the whole thing together that's cool i mean companies that we acquire are that way right we're always looking for companies who are mission driven and if we find them they absolutely want to become part of what we're doing (laughs) Yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that, that's, a, that's an amazing idea. And, and, and only a, a soft transition into what, you, what, what other things you do, right? Which is the women uh, tech, the, yeah. non, the nonprofit, the women, women tech, right? Um, yep. how, how, did, how did that start? And like, what motivated you to, to start building that community? Yeah. So, you know, I, I did my undergrad in computer science. Mm -hmm. I was one of three graduating women in my computer science class. I happened to have minored in dance, which had like the opposite problem. Right. So we had, you know, I had these two like really strong juxtapositions of audiences. And then I, I spent my whole career really in tech, like building companies from a very technical perspective, which really put me for the majority of my career as the only woman in the room. And about, it's actually been 15 years since we created the Women Tech Council. Mm-hmm. And there came this point where I was meeting with, so I'm, I'm just in, in my DNA is like build community. So even before I started the Women Tech Council, I'd started this marketing forum because I was CMO and I wanted to meet all the other CMOs. Um, and so it's just like how I am, right? I'm like, oh, I need people. Like, how do I like learn from people? Yeah. And so we were, we were, I was at lunch with some other women who were in tech. And we're like, you know, we think there's this opportunity to create a community. And true to my programming roots, I'm like, oh, we should validate that. Do other people think that's a good idea? Because it's like, I just like have my DNA and validation. So I validate everything. Sometimes I have good ideas and sometimes I have bad ideas. And so we're like, we think we should create this. 
And we think there's an opportunity here because we need more women in tech. It's a fast growing economic sector at Silicon Slopes. How do we do this? So we're like, oh, let's go validate. So we see, like we start by, we pulled this big executive group together of like 60 people. But before we did that, we totally, we went to government, venture, companies, universities. Oh. And we're like, we think we're going to do this. Will you support it? And we kind of rolled out what we thought. And resoundingly, the, everyone came back and said, you know, really ground yourself on the economic impact of women in tech. Because it's all about building, you know, the, this, this economy that strengthens and bolsters future generations. And so we actually made that our charter of like, we are going to focus on the economic impact of women in tech from high school to the boardroom. And we'll create mentoring, visibility, opportunity, and networks for those. We have never changed our charter in all of wow. the years. And that's just kind of a, a testament to the validation that we did. It's total like agile software development, total product validation, melt and scale it, all of those things. <laughs> so then we pulled together this big group of like 60 people who was kind of our first advisory kickoff. We're like, we're jumping into this. And then we've left that in our DNA. So we'll be like, we need impactful programs that stand the test of time. Okay, good plan. <laughs> so we'll like put a program out there and then we're like, well, that worked amazingly well. Okay, that one didn't work as well. And then we build on them. And so we become known as this organization that is deeply rooted in building long-term programs that create sustainable impact. Like our Women Tech Awards platform, um, it's in its 15th year. It's wow. recognized just under 300 women. And 90% of those women within seven months see a change, an accelerator in their career. Because these are women who have no other place for recognition, right? They're not CEOs of companies. They're not sitting in the C-suite. They're like these amazingly talented individuals and companies that need a light shining on them. And so you create this platform. You're like, how cool is that? You shine light on these women and they get bigger networks, bigger visibility. And now they make even bigger impact than the amazing things they were doing before. And then it just continues to, so that's that's how we built wow. it. All about impact, all about community, all about tackling whatever the current challenges are and then building things that have long-term value. Yeah, holy cow. That's just an amazing platform because, and you know, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, so I'm preparing for this, I was preparing for the interview. And of course, you know, we do, I, I, have, a, I have a little team that helps me and so we can get all the info, right? And uh, one of the first things that I look up is Cindy Tetro. It's brandless. And then in the article, it says, um, largest round of funding by a female CEO ever. And I was and I was like, the title just was funky. How did you feel? Like, how do you feel about that title? Um, okay, wait, why do you think it's funky about it? And then I'll respond to how well, I, I just, it. I just, why do you have, I mean, like for me, it was like, not, not that that wasn't an amazing accomplishment, but like shining the light on like largest female, you know? And I'm like, why, why couldn't this just be one of the largest period? Because it ended up being one of the largest ones, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So that's a great question. So two um, dynamics at play. Funding typically goes to female entrepreneurs, like so dramatically less. It's, it, it's okay. not, it doesn't even register. So women typically take I can't even actually remember what the current stat is, but it's far less than 10% of all venture capital. Yeah, no, I, and I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we were like looking at, at those articles, right, because there are, I have, you know, contemporaries and peers in the ecosystem, right, that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars, um, but very few women have raised large rounds. Yeah. Um, and actually, like the fact that 118 was the largest round, to your point, it's very like reflective. Right, because you don't see those announcements very often by women-led companies who have raised that capital. Mm -hmm. I think it's a super important light to shine. What I hope is mm -hmm. it's the start of so many women raising more money than me, right? Of so many <laughs> yeah. people having an opportunity to, to do that because we're trying to change the tide in the visibility for women and the visibility and opportunity they have to raise capital. Because as a woman who's raised capital, my journey is different. My access to capital is different. Um, the process I go through for fundraising versus someone else, it is just different. Mm -hmm. And of course, there might be some differences that always persist, but we don't want access to capital to be delimited. We want it to be yeah. equal and we want, we want to fuel female entrepreneurship because women have typically found capital in other places because they haven't been able to raise venture. And so for us, part of that headline was also 
creating you know this visibility that this is an amazing round it is female-led and this is opening the doors and helping others break the glass ceiling too okay i like that and thank you for answering that for me because i'm learning you know what i mean and uh and i think it's i think that so the way that you put that i think that then they, yeah that that's the perfect headline then that's perfect because i was talking with um susan peterson to see yeah. Fr- yeah freshly picked we had a similar conversation i'm like what needs to change then um, to get more visibility. And I guess it's to one of the things is to your point here, which is like, put more headlines like that. Like you can't actually raise hundreds of millions of dollars as a female led CEO. And by the way, I thought it was, I mean, you know, pardon my French, but I thought it was badass on that. And not only because, because not only that, but like brandless, you think about the brand before you were appointed a CEO, like they were bankrupt, basically they were out. Out, they were down and out for the county. You come in and resurrect it like that. That's a huge deal. That's a, that's baller. That was cool. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, feels like that some days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I go, you go through all of this. So one question that I like because to the, that I like to ask, and that seems kind of weird at first, but I, I interviewed lots of, I try to interview lots of like high profile guests like yourself, right? And and you go through all the interviews. There's hundreds of interviews and I and I always get a little, you know what I mean? I always get a little yeah. like, oh, what am I going to do differently? But the question that I always like is you do all of these interviews. You you go through brandless, you go through all these companies. You wasn't it was it one of your companies the first like 3D like as a service, right? Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. Um but you do all the interviews, you you do all the podcasts and I and I'm extremely grateful. But like what's I guess if, when you're doing all of these, what is the main message you hope to get out there to like the audience? And like, I mean, what's your mission, mission driven purpose, I guess. You know, I, I think as I've like gone through my career, I believe one of the missions that I constantly embark on is two things, trying to be someone who's like leading away and breaking the glass ceiling. So other people have better opportunity than I had along the way. Um, and second, working to be a role model to show others that they can do amazing things, whatever whatever they want, despite the obstacles that they might face, um, and really being a voice for all of that, right? Like, so, like I, I want my legacy to be someone who made a difference because not only did I talk about things, but I actually did things. And in doing things, it was less about me and more about others. Yeah. That, and it always comes back to like those, and I love asking that question because I never get the same answer. And, and I don't know if you, you probably gotten that question. Cause of course I don't have time to go through all of your, the hundreds no, of issues. It's you know a great question. It's a great question, right? Cause it's very reflective. And I would say that at different stages in your life, it's probably different, yeah, right. About what yeah. you're trying to do. Yeah. And um, I don't know, the world just needs like, you know, people who are good, who are trying to do good things, who are lifting others and who are willing to spend time in their life, making the world better for the people who come behind them. Yeah. That was one of the things for this podcast. You know, I got, it started out as, as a networking thing and kind of evolved into this way that like, you know, I'm, I'm like pretty cookie cutter, like sales guy. I do, you know what I mean? Like there's not a whole lot that I offer, but one of the things that, you know, and, and glad that we talked about community and storytelling so far, because the only thing that I, I have that I love to give is like, is like the platform, right? Like bringing out voices because, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, a lot of people do it, but the more that, you know, the more that you can get your message out there to people, the more, yeah, backing you have and community you have. And, and so I think that's wonderful for you. How, how does the future of venture capital and fundraising look, uh, for women who want to enter this? Like what changes need to happen? What changes are happening? Like, how do you, how do you approach that? as a, as a way to do this? Yeah. You know, that's the funding for women, right? This is a very, you know, deep conversation. So there's many levels to this. Um, I'm a huge fan of all the work that's current that's happened across the country. In some States it's been mandated. The boards have to have women. It's proven that boards need more than one female on them to actually make a difference versus just one. Um, And in the straight to the financing question, but there's a lot of work to be done still, to be fair. Um, and it's um, it's it's a very strong dynamic. So when you think about, so a couple of interesting stats, in the entire world, women only own 10% of the wealth. So they only drive 10% of the wealth. 
And women have still not been able to really break into creating generational wealth for families because they don't control enough of um, the ecosystems that help people set up to create generational wealth. So when you think about things like raising venture capital, you know, and you think about our, our ecosystem here, you think about all of the leaders who have made like, you know, billions and hundreds of millions of dollars in exits, but it's because someone backed them in an early stage idea and maybe even backed them through a down round and many other things, but they got these networks behind them. They totally believed in them. And then these, these people created generational wealth, predominantly men. But they also have these amazing backings of networks behind them that really supported them. Those networks have not yet shown up for women. And there's two things in those networks. There's very few women because they they don't hold the majority of the wealth who are actually creating the funding vehicles. And then they're actually like sitting in the seats of the venture capital firms where they're directing the capital allocations and then sitting on the boards And then you also have a gap in women entrepreneurs in those really like fast growing startups. So the ecosystem is not simple, right? It's not like there's a magic wand where we say, if you just do this, it solves because Mm -hmm. fundraising is hard for everyone. That's also universally true, right? Everyone who goes to pitch, male or female, does not get funded, right? There's a whole bunch of dynamics. And in today's ecosystem where capitalism is free, it's even harder than it was six months ago. Yeah. So- now you've got a couple of challenges. You've got an ecosystem where, you know, the funding networks haven't existed and you have an ecosystem where we haven't traditionally seen as many women step, like move into both founding venture backed companies and then being CEOs of those from the operational side, which is ultimately where this wealth is made. And then it becomes the generational wealth and those exits. So we have multiple pipelines that everyone's working to fix. I will give an interesting data point. So this is the 15th year of the Women Tech Awards. We did the judging session um, earlier this week. And it was the first time in 15 years that there were a very interesting number of female CEOs, both young and running large companies. It's the first time ever where there was an interesting population, more than a couple in those categories of women. For me, that was a very large data indicator that things are starting to change, that women are feeling like they can step in and run companies. They're doing it at younger levels. They're feeling like they can get some funding. You have women who are now moving into executive suites and they're doing and they're stepping into those roles and they're getting access to those ecosystems. That's a very powerful indicator for us along the way. One of the things that puts that data at risk is women in executive suites are currently leaving the workforce faster than any other demographic since COVID because of all the stress of everything and this feeling like I'm just going to step out. There's just, it's too much coming at me. And so women executives are leaving. If all those women in that like pathway to the C-suite leave, we'll actually still have this huge gap in the C-suite because they won't have been able to come up. But I believe we have to accelerate opportunities for women faster. It should not take them 30 years. It should not take them 20 years. We should tap their shoulders faster. And that we also fund more women along the way of the same kind of thought patterns that we funded men because some will win and some will lose. The combination of those two will change, but it requires like so many variables as you can tell. And Mm -hmm. we have have a long way to go. We, everything we could do to accelerate that change in the next decade is stuff that we should do. And it's a lot, it's a lot of heavy lifting. Like you think yeah. about how hard it's going to be to move the whole world wealth from only being held by 10% women. Like what yeah, happens if we yeah. could get 20%? It would be monumental change to the entire world and good outcomes. And it is so hard to get there. It, so we all collectively have to like find our ways and do everything we can to accelerate opportunity, put capital in and put people in seats. Like we have to champion them into seats where we're willing to support them. Yeah. So, so you're not, so you're not only talking about like women founded companies, but you're also talking about women found like women in, in board seats and like exactly women in boards, exactly women leading seats. companies, like yeah. the whole ecosystem. Right. And yeah, it's gotta be all yeah, over. You, yeah, exactly. Well, but I like that because for a long time, the com- the focus was like women fa- fa- like founding their own companies, which I think is amazing. And I think we should absolutely do, but you bring up an interesting point because I'm in the boat of like, you know, I've tried to, I've founded a few companies. We, some of them have been good. Some of them failed. And I just realized like, I don't really like 
being the founder. You know what I mean? I like being, you know what I mean? Like, I like being the linchpin. Like if somebody has a vision idea and they're like, I don't know how to do it. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm like, all right, I can. And a lot of people, women and men are like that too. So I like that, the emphasis on like, all right, cool. So we need, you don't need a founder. That's fine. See, we need COOs. We need CFOs. We need CTOs and all these things, right? That's right. And we can change the destinies of people and families and communities. Like nothing bad happens when women have more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> you can argue for me out there because like, that's one of the things that I've tried to focus on too. So when, when I went to, and it's so funny, I met, we went to the consumer summit and that's where I met Susan Peterson and a few other people. Oh, yeah. And I actually interrupted Susan Peterson, who was talking to a group of, of women. Cause I was like, I was like, she's going to leave after this. I know she is. And I got to go. So I got to, I was like, I got to go interrupt her, but she, I, I go and interrupt, but, but right before I do, she's like, look, we need to do this. We need to get more women in funding. Cause she's a big proponent for that as well. And I was like, I just listened to that. And I was like, she's like, it's going to take So right before I ask her, she goes, it's going to take all of us. And like, it's going to take everybody raising the voices. And so I interrupt her and I was like, Hey, I want to help you do that. <laughs> like, will you come on my podcast? That's awesome. So, and so that's, but that's also, I was like, yeah, you're, they're right. Like I need to, I was like, I need to like, at least I, I can't do a lot, but I can, I can like have a platform of like real conversations. Yeah. And I love these real conversations. So like, if you, if, 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 if there's a, you know, if there's a woman listening and, and this is kind of special for me, cause I have a daughter and I just like, you know, when I, you know, every day I see her, she's just fiery and it's beautiful and I love it. You know what I mean? And she's just got totally. all of this potential. And so for me, it was like really you know, this is kind of a, a new thing for me, but it's also a very sensitive thing. Cause I love, I love her and I want to see her win as many times as I can. Yep. So like, if you were, if you were looking at someone like that and like your women, um, you know, your nonprofit for women, uh, tech council, what do you like, what do you tell them? Like, how do you encourage them? What is the most important thing that they can like focus on? If there is one, I mean, I know there's many, but yeah, I'm, I'm totally fair there. So <laughs> I'll tell you kind of a story. And this is, this is how I think about how we make change. So a good friend of mine, her name is um, Shannon Happy Barkey. She's an Olympic, two-time Olympic medalist in, um, in Moguls. She's based here in Park City. And um, we were talking and she talked to me a little bit about how she had this idea that every time she was training and she was doing like squats or sit-ups, she'd just do one more every time. Because one more in the moment, didn't make a big difference, but for her overall training, when it came to her strength, it started to make a huge difference over the course of a year and two years. And she ultimately won two medals. And in my mind, it started to form this idea of, well, the rule of one more becomes the fastest way to accelerate change. And so what happens if each of us do one more thing in the ecosystem, you just talked about doing one more thing. You're like, Hey, Susan, let me amplify your voice. Just I'll do one more thing for you. I'll amplify your voice, but this translates to everything we do. And I've really reflected on this idea over the last year and tried to implement it with high consistency. Wow. Like what happens if I put one more person in this networking event that I got a VIP invite and I take someone who doesn't have access? What happens if instead of just bypassing that email that's like, hey, you know, we're looking for someone like this. I actually think like, oh my gosh, I've got one more person I can send in to meet you. What happens if I do one more connection? If I have one more meeting from someone that might feel like it fills my schedule too much, like little tiny things yeah. that, in the, that really don't take that much every day. But I promise you they're meaningful because that one more thing, that one more access to a room, someone didn't get access to because they didn't have the visibility, but I gave them, it makes a huge difference for them. So I'll get emails where they're like, Sid, Sid, will you sit on this committee? Like, I actually don't have time, but you know what? I have a person I can put in the seat. And so I've started being very intentional around like, I'll put other people in those seats. I will like not take the table at that event because I'll know everyone. I'll send other parts of my team. I will tap this person. I will give this, like, I'm going to reach out to this person because I feel like they might fit my job really well. Like I'm going to be really good at the one more, the one more tiny thing takes almost no time out of my day, but for someone else, it makes change. And if we all do those things, that rule of one more is actually what truly makes change. So, and I believe no matter what seat you sit in, no matter if you're just at the beginning of your career or you've developed it, if you do one more thing to help one more person, it will make the change go faster for everyone. Wow. That's yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. I love that because it's so true. Like um, I've, 
you know, I, I haven't heard it articulated like that, but it's beautiful because like, that's kind of how you just make everything work in general. And when it's that intentional and it's that focused, um, it, it really does. It really does make a difference. And you can give people the voice and, and let them take a, like, let them take a shot. I think it's a great idea. I got to start doing that. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? It just makes it like really intentional in your thinking. Yeah. Like after I started more. rolling that out, I was like, okay, you're right. Like, and sometimes I'll catch myself and I'll be like, no, 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 the one more, like do one more. And it really has changed the way I've thought. Like wow. there, we received an award the other day and I was like, you know what? I actually don't have to be the one on stage to receive it. If I give that opportunity to someone else, it's really meaningful for them. And yeah. it's still the same company recognition. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And, and, and like, I I've had, um, you know, experiences where like that has been, that has made the difference where somebody was like, you know, I've, cause I ask people, I ask CEOs and they're like, get out of my inbox, man. But I go, I go, will you come on my podcast? And they're like, no, I can't go, but here's my, here's someone else. And, uh, we end up having the same, I mean, we end up having an amazing conversation. You're like, absolutely. Why wouldn't I take that? And, um, and it comes with more weight too. It's like, Hey, highly recommended by Cindy. Yeah. This is a big deal. Like when I, you, you wouldn't, it's like, I've had that experience where I'm like, no, I'll recommend this person. And, and they're like, Hey, recommended by Dalton. If it's good enough for that, it's good enough for me. It's, and if I say no, you know what I mean? It's like, it just has that credibility passes on, right. It's an endorsement of those, of those people. And so you really don't lose anything, anything, nothing. And you actually make other people better. (laughs) Well, I know, I know it sounds obvious when we say it like this, but somebody's going to get it. I, I certainly did. (laughs) And I, and I appreciate too, I, I might as well just point this out. I appreciate that. I might've been the one more, <laughs> the one more podcast, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm so, glad we met that way. I think that's so cool. It's such a great story. Yeah, I know. That's great. Well, um, so I, I love it. Uh, and I, and I know that you're pretty active on, on social media. Is there a place where people can follow you, can get involved with uh, maybe women tech council, brand list, any of, any of the nonprofits you have, like, how do they do that? All of the above. Yeah. My personal handle is Sid Tetro. That's like consistent everywhere. You can find me Sydney Tetro on LinkedIn. Um, Brandless life is our Instagram handle on brandless. Oh, cool. It's uh, we're also on, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn, women, te- women tech council. Um, you can go to womentechcouncil.org, but we're also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook, oh. all the things. And it's, you know, I'm a believer of like, everyone can be involved, you know, things like the Women Tech Council. We have a program that's had 30,000 high school girls go through to inspire them into STEM careers. So many volunteer capabilities to work with young women that way, because they're missing mentors and role models. So we love having people get involved in that entire community. (laughs) It's free to get involved. And it's really about, uh, it takes almost a thousand volunteers annually for that program. So there's amazing opportunities <laughs> wow. to like participate. And, and of course, you know, we're a local community. So, um, at, you know, as brandless, even though we're building a global brand, like we love yeah. being involved in everything here and, and what we stand for and the impact we can make in the local community. And, and um, volunteers, uh, anybody can volunteer or specifically women or who do you look for? Women and men volunteer inside of that program. Um, the like, on, we'll do She Tech Explorer Day. It will actually be like February 28th this year. There's like, there's clubs in the high schools that are She Tech. We have so many wow. things. We were actually <laughs> just in Africa with a women program tied to Women Tech Council. But um, that day, wow. we actually have 700 volunteers on site. People teach workshops. They're in our tech zone and then they mentor girls during a tech challenge. Seriously, so many ways to volunteer. And if people have companies that the girls should get exposure to, we run an internship, we do activities there. Seriously, there's a million ways. And we host stuff at all of our local companies for the Women Tech Council. Um, There's, you know, a million different programs there that are recognizing the efforts everyone's doing to increase and be involved in in that work of increasing the number of women in tech. That's cool. Well, sign me up. (laughs) well and and thank you for your time i really appreciate it this was a blast thank you same i appreciate it too